Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery of the Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Provincial Affairs Reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, November 16, 2018, and this is the Somewhere Over the Rainbow with John Carpe edition. Today, Dave's having a chuckle over there. I knew the title ahead of hand, so I'll, <laughs> That's pretty good. I'll stay silent. Thank you very much. <laughs> with me today... My legislative colleague, Claire Clancy. How are you, Clancy? I'm great. How are you doing? Just fantastic. Mm -hmm. The weather is gross. I actually got outside my apartment this morning and I forgot that when it gets cold, the wind, I just kind of forget to breathe and my heart starts beating really fast. And then I'm like, why am I here? Yeah. Why do we live here? (laughs) Why did I immigrate to Canada? What was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mountains. I don't know. Mount- we have them in Australia, mate. No, they're better here. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I, I love that that's the one Australia. thing you went for. <laughs> and you said it with a question mark. Yeah. Mountains? Yeah. <laughs> and Dave Breckenridge, how you doing, mate? Good. It, it is cold here. I've lived here for 40 years and I wonder what am I doing here? <laughs> Are you from here originally? Oh, yeah. I grew up in Edmonton. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Huh. And we will hopefully be joined by Sarah O'Donnell if she makes it through the uh, snowpocalypse outside. I guess we'll see. So as you might have picked up from the title there, we are going to be talking about gay-straight alliances or GSAs in Alberta schools and why they were top of mind for the education minister this week. And that will lead us very neatly to a discussion about John Carpe, who is a lawyer leading the charge against Bill 24, which is a GSA bill, and his comments recently about the rainbow flag. And then hopefully we can just take you very briefly to a quick conversation about oil differentials. Let's start off with GSAs in schools. Now, Clancy, you were lucky yeah. enough to cover this this week. Yeah, so um, I, I covered uh, Janet was off, but she's really the person Janet who's Janet French, our written, education reporter, yeah, who's she, amazing. And she's written so much about this issue. But basically, uh, just a quick background, Bill 24 was brought in last year um, and it forces schools to have policies in place to protect LGBTQ students who want to start gay-straight alliances, which are kind of peer support groups within schools. Um, part of the law requires schools to post policies publicly on their websites in what they call a prominent location. Um, and did they? Just sorry to interrupt you. Were they? Did they define prominent location? Does it have to be on their website or? A I think board? that's part of the issue. Is I'm not oh. entirely sure exactly how prominent it has to be, and I think that's part of like the law. suits that are coming forward Hmm. um but yeah so basically post policies online and um yeah and and just agree in general that you'll allow students to create these groups and that they won't necessarily be reported to parents uh, in order to protect the students well yeah they can't parents can't be told them if their kid joins a club right exactly yeah so um so we've known about this law for a long time uh you know Education Minister David Egan said a couple months ago, he said that any schools that weren't complying with the laws would potentially lose their funding for the 2019-2020 school year. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened this week was that he held a news conference to kind of give a list of the 28 schools in the province, all private schools, um, that aren't currently complying with the laws. So um, that number is a lot lower than the 61 schools that weren't complying a couple of months ago. And yeah. uh, I thought what was interesting was the minister said that he's keeping the negotiations close to his chest, but he's obviously in conversations with these schools to try to talk to them about like why they should um, follow the policy. So yeah, so basically we got a list of the 28 private schools um, and uh, and they will potentially lose their funding next school year if they don't step up. Dave, do you think it's actually likely that they're going to lose their funding though? I mean, that's coming right into an election. Well, there's, the education... Mind you, these people are not going to be voting for the NDP anyway, that's probably. True. The, the education minister has talked fairly tough about yeah. 
this law and wanting to make sure that these schools are abiding by it. I don't see why he wouldn't. I like I don't see why he'd put it out there and then not follow through. Right. He, he would look weak to his base if he if he didn't follow through on on the threat to pull funding. It is a fairly contentious policy and I could see why uh some may worry that he's not going to follow through that he's not going to to kind of be the heavy here, but I think he's kind of He's painted himself into a corner that he. I think he has to follow through if they don't yeah. adopt these policies and follow through on, on the legislation. And it, look, as far as I'm concerned, regardless your thoughts on um, the policy in general, the idea that if you're operating a school in Alberta, you have to abide by certain regulations to get your public <laughs> funding. I don't know how you can argue against that. Right. And and I think it's important to point out it is a it is um, a lot of funding for these schools. Like I think the total yep. amount among the schools is something like 32 million and it's about 70 percent funding per student for the schools. So, I mean, that matters that potentially will will really affect them. Yeah. So the, I was looking at the list. So basically all public, all Catholic, all charter schools have all and francophone schools. and francophone schools have all complied with this policy. So the only ones left are some. Uh, some private Christian schools and the Islamic school board as well. That seems to be the only ones on the list, right? Religious schools. Yeah, private religious schools. Private religious schools. Private religious schools that get public funding. Like, yeah. Again, if you want public dollars, you should abide by the rules that the province sets out. And, I, you, you know, you could extend the same argument to religious-based health organizations who want public funding for their hospitals and should they follow laws related to... I don't know, medical aid and dying, but that's a whole other argument <laughs> here. But there is, that's the, I think the consensus here among a lot of people, even some conservative leaning people, I, as some columnist Lorne Gunter even noted in his column this week that if you want the public money, you got to play by the rules that they're setting out. Yeah. And I mean, the argument against it, and this has been coming up the whole time, it's it's interesting the way that the NDP and the UCP kind of are pitting this argument. You've got the NDP frames it as if you don't follow Bill 24, if you don't follow these particular laws, then you are putting kids in an awkward position. You're threatening kids here. Whereas UCP frames it as if you do have to follow this, you're infringing on parental rights. So it becomes the kids versus the parents kind of in a weird way. I think. And the schools that are launching kind of court actions against this are saying that it um, infringes on their ability to have like a unique description of their school and a unique kind of characteristic of what they're teaching. And I, I mean, and that's for the courts to decide. I don't know if that necessarily needs to, to come into the, the political sphere. The NDP government has set out what they feel the parameters should be. People obviously are not necessarily going to agree with that. And they're free to launch it, a court action against it, right? That's well, kind of how our system operates, for, right? Hey? Right, yeah. In a, in a free society where we're not totalitarian in any way, shape, or form. Which and, is a and great you can, thing. You can take the government to court if you want. <laughs> yeah. That's very good, Dave. That leads very neatly to our next, uh, next segment here, segue, as it were, to John Carpe. 
Now, I, okay, I, I wasn't covering this story. Clancy, I think you were covering this, weren't you? Yeah, and I You've think... done everything this week, thanks. Yeah, thanks no worries. Yeah. Happy to. Consistent yeah. week. Um, you've oh. been working on exciting things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just want to point out, Sarah O'Donnell has entered the studio. Hello, Sarah. Hi, everyone. We had to deal with a bit of a snow pants catastrophe this morning, <laughs> but it was uh, all taken yeah. care of now, so my apologies for being your, late. Your I'm assuming that was your pants? kids. <laughs> no, not, not my personal snow pants, but uh, finding where the snow pants had been camouflaged in the school, and uh, yay, <laughs> success yeah <laughs> sorry Clancy yeah right so John Carpe so what was going on okay so I'm gonna read what he said um because I think that's important just to make sure that I get it right for sure and I just want to put this into context so yeah. John Carpe is the lawyer who is a lawyer who is helping with um GSA. a charter challenge against Bill 24 and GSA's with a whole bunch of these private Christian schools so he's currently taking the government to court and on Saturday, yeah, and on Saturday he was speaking at a conference in Calgary and uh, kind of there was a video of some of his remarks that were posted online. He also, I should say, on Sunday he, he later clarified the remarks, but in the video he draws a comparison between the rainbow flag and flags bearing Nazi and communist symbols. And I'll just read his exact remarks, which are... How do we defeat today's totalitarianism? Again, you've got to think about the common characteristics. It doesn't matter whether it's a hammer and sickle for communism or whether it's the swastika for Nazi Germany or whether it's a rainbow flag. The underlying thing is a hostility towards individual freedoms. Um, So on Sunday, John Carpe did say that he um, made an unintentional broad comparison between Uh, those two things and I will say also I reached out to him uh, this week because I wanted to chat to him about a couple of stories and he said he had no further comment other than the statement that he released on Sunday. Dave you you look like you're (laughs) itching to weigh in on this mate. I I find the whole thing a the uh, unintentional comment I think that's uh, a cop-out. Yes I'm a free speech kind of guy. Years ago, Ann Coulter came to do a talk in Calgary, and there were people protesting and saying we shouldn't let her have a we shouldn't let her be allowed to talk. And I think that's ridiculous. I you know Ann Coulter may be offensive to many people, may be considered a troll, but so what? If reasonably minded adults decide they want to shell out money to see a troll talk, let them. I'm that kind of guy. I find it ridiculous that John Carpe would suggest that the pride flag which celebrates individual freedom and the fight for the LGBTQ community to have rights similar to other people is in any way totalitarian. You want to have a conversation about how people are trying to police language and and, uh, say that you can't say things. I can understand that debate, but his comparison was ridiculous and his excuse was equally so. And it was, it is a horrific comparison. And I well, think yeah, I mean, the like, reason, but I, I think we should say the reason that this became news is that he's a UCP member. Yes. And he... Um, <laughs> oh yeah, we should probably throw that yeah, in Yeah, he still uh, has membership. And that's something that um, the reason this became an issue is that people have been asking about, you know, there have been a few instances over the last few months of people in the party who said hateful things on social media or whatnot and questions have arisen about kind of um, whether or not the UCP is kicking these people out of their party. Uh, Jason Kenney scrummed on this and he said that um, he condemned the remarks as uh, vile um, and he said that kicking someone out of the party isn't up to him. It's a board decision. Which is funny because last week or the other week he said the exact opposite. He said I have directed the board to do this and I have directed the board to do that. Like he took responsibility for that. But when it's a bloke that is helping his base, he 
it doesn't seem so happy and, to go along with that. Right. And a caucus spokesperson said that he had misspoken in that written statement that he sent out. He misspoke in a written statement. Uh-huh. I, I, have to, I do have to so on this on this on this point. I know he's been getting a lot of heat for this, and and absolutely the Carpage remarks. Kenny's right; they're vile. Um, I did want to say, you know, in there are circumstances where I was trying to decide, you know, in terms of how Jason Kenny responded, in terms of can he be the one who directs him to leave or not. I was thinking about when I'm a news editor and a news story comes up that involves somebody that I know or somebody who I, I might have a relationship with in some way, I do recuse myself from that story. And I will say to my colleagues, I'll say to and say, I know this person. I cannot be involved in decisions about this story. Mm. And I will actually hand that off because that in this case is the responsible thing to do. So I'm not trying to defend anybody here, but I can see an argument in which if you are close to somebody, then you should actually not be involved sure. in the decision about whether they remain a member of your party. So that's just, I was just, you know. Sure, but then you shouldn't turn that. around the next week and say you misspoke when you said that the mm-hmm. other week. Yep. <laughs> You know, yeah, absolutely fair. I mean, the comments were just ridiculous in so many levels. I mean, and also, I think it is fair to say the apology wasn't necessarily an apology. It wasn't an apology. Right. He said it wasn't an apology. It was one of those half-assed, "Oh, sorry if I offended anyone, but that's not what I meant." That's not actually an apology. But to say the to say the rainbow flag is is something like the swastika or the communist hammer and sickle, like get a grip, mate. I mean, the whole point of the rainbow flag is, as Dave said, it's kind of fighting for minorities. I mean, the whole point of Nazi Germany was that they did the exact opposite, and that's why we ended up with the Holocaust, yo. Mm, but I like, think my quickly, God. I mean, I think yeah. there's nobody standing up to defend these comments. No, no, so should think, there be. I think there is, there is I, I think that's a good, I think that shows that how big a misstep this was. But yeah, how do you even? I true. don't even understand how he got there. I right. think, I mean, I think it raises, I think this incident raises questions about um about how the UCP is planning to do damage control when they have prominent members potentially who say um things that could be viewed as as hateful or are hateful things to say so um i think it'll be interesting to see i know last week uh jason kenny also said they're considering creating a database and um that would hopefully vet people who have extremist views but um but yeah, it's. I mean, it's raising a lot of questions because this isn't the first incident of this. No, there right. have been many. And yes. that's why they have to create a database of people with... I don't even understand how they're going to do that, honestly. Yeah, I think... I mean, I'm curious to see what that would look like, so... Oh, you divide it down in an Excel spreadsheet according to particular belief systems? Homophobe, racist... <laughs> I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you break it down? And then and then how do you find it? Do you vet every single member of the party? And in fairness, I think that's a very good point. Like, that's what Jason Kenny said this week. It's the party now. He said it has one hundred and forty one thousand members. You can't vet every single person. You can't vet every single person's belief. Um, no, and I don't know. Like, if someone's a, if someone's a complete nut job and wants to join a political party, well, I mean, we saw every right in the world to look do at the, it. Look at the woman who was just convicted in Germany and who had run repeatedly right. for the Green Party, yeah. Yeah, and she was a Holocaust denier. You know, there are all kinds of political parties that have challenges. With it is a very hard thing to um, police the the views of all of your membership. It's an absolute challenge. And, and is uh, it something you even want to do? Really? Like, is that something that any political party should do? I don't know. I mean, obviously, people think the UCP should. Yeah, I but guess. then you Should all parties have a value test That's for what I those mean. who yeah. want to join? I don't. 
I don't understand why you join a political party. Putting it out there, never I'm, have, never will. We're in a, yeah. we're in a room of journalists. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, it does seem like a bizarre thing to to do that. I don't know how the UCP will ever do it. And then and then what? The NDP has to vet for because they had a bunch of communists and Marxists turn up to their um. When I say a bunch, there were like two. <laughs> that is not a bunch, Emma. That's a couple. <laughs> if someone gave me two flowers, it wouldn't be a bunch. It would be a couple of roses. Thank you, Yuri, husband. <laughs> Unless anyone else wants to give me files, don't do that. It would be creepy. You can, Clancy. Thanks. Yeah, maybe yeah. I will. I do want to talk about oil prices. Okay, I know. Um, <laughs> so let's go there. Yeah. Sarah, think, that's why you ran into the oil. You just really wanted to talk about oil prices. I think we should, I, I really do want to talk about oil prices because I think this is I can is tell a, by the look in your this eyes. Is a, <laughs> this, is a, this is a massive issue, and uh, it's, it is definitely a growing concern. I mean, we have... Um, you know, the oil patch split on a question of with uh, with the the CEO of uh, of Synovus Energy saying that Alberta is facing a quote wholesale economic catastrophe and calling on the government to put some limits on oil production. Now, this is a huge schism. Of course, there are some people in the patch who feel that this is the way to go. There are other companies who have said come out and said. I don't know. The market will take care of things. Like this is not a good choice, um, especially those companies that are involved in the refining end of things, and uh, they're they're not big fans of that because there's some benefits to lower prices for them. Um, but when uh, we have Rachel Notley in the middle here, I mean, facing this question and her saying yesterday in Calgary that within weeks, perhaps sooner, they'll have some thoughts on what to do with this. But we haven't had the second quarter fiscal update yet, right? I think this is going to be a very depressing look at Alberta's books when we do get this. I was thinking back last night about this as I was reading uh, about the, the growing debate within the oil sector about what whether the province should or shouldn't do something. When we talked about the bitch and bubble, when Alison Redford gave her famous televised address in January 2013 about the bitumen bubble, um, worrying about that the differential would cost Alberta $6 billion over a year. I mean, it was that was when oil... WTI was hovering at $100 a barrel, and Western Canadian Select was at about $60 a barrel. Well, yesterday, Western Canadian Select at one point was $14 U.S. This is a serious issue in a province where we have budgeted, let me see here, Western Canadian Select, I was looking last night at... Um, it's budgeted at $46 a barrel. Now, I know this is, you know, oil goes up and down. It's all about an average over the year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is really bad. And I was just thinking that this is yet another nightmare that the Notley government does not need and Albertans don't need, frankly. Um, and, and it's all about access at this point. It seems to be an issue of we cannot get our product to market. I think what's what's interesting, though, about this is that, and as you said, this is it, it looks like a disaster. And everyone says, like, the differential is horrible. Um, but Notley has said, like, they're keeping their options open. The question is, what really can the government do? This idea of forcing companies to cut their inventories um you know, is problematic for for potentially other reasons because it's market interference. So um, we know right now that Notley has asked Ottawa to up um, crude by rail. That's potentially one thing that would help lower the differential. Um, but really, this is this is a an escalating situation to which there is no fantastic solution. No, and I mean, it is the same conversations we've been having over and over again. I mean, since, you know, even prior to 2013, there's always been a differential. Um, 
the Alberta government has this great oil price um, slider where you can go back, you know, years to, uh, and I was I was playing with it last night to Does look it? at different points. Oh, yeah, it's going to cool. be my good stuff recommendation. I'll, I'll share the link out because they, they track the over the years the price of WTI versus Western Canadian Select. And so you can see the differential and you can see the ups and the downs and, you know, you can see it all slowly crashing after like 2014 to 2015, all going down, slide, slide, slide. And you can also see that, you know, 2013 was not the first time that there had been a huge differential in the price between the two different markets. It goes up and it goes down. But we're getting back now where you can see the the spike in terms of, you know, how that differential is growing at a time when oil prices are already low. And this um, is why we, I mean, that comes to the push for the, for the pipeline, right? And then mm-hmm. Darren Billis, the economic development minister slash trade minister he got up this week and they've launched their next steps in terms of basically trying to convince the canadian public that the pipeline really needs to happen because they're putting out those really stark numbers i don't know whether that's going to go any way to convincing the people who are the ones who demonstrate against the pipelines numbers are not going to convince them at all yeah the yeah like this news conference that darren billis held was basically he said it was a reminder to ottawa they're putting like a digital clock um like a graphic of a, of a clock um, that uh, a counter sorry that counts up the 84 million a day of revenue lost because we can't get oil to market and it's going to be placed I guess near Parliament Hill at different places but oh really it's going to be a the, giant prop well no I asked that I don't think so oh, I think it's going to be on I screens I know I know it's not going to be like carried around on a giant be screen so good. Billis just goes to Ottawa and just carries around <laughs> this giant ticking clock yeah, I mean, slash number thing. That would be so cool. That's very Canadian Taxpayers Federation-y. Yeah. Yes. It really <laughs> yes. is. You're right. But yeah. geez, that'd See, be everything comes watch, around since all the other people used to be involved with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I mean, for context, our colleague Chris Varco yesterday uh, quoted um, RBC Capital Market Analyst Greg Party. It was a really interesting comparison. I, I, I got it. That's why I like it. Um, he compared the price right now as basically being equivalent to like, so if you were equivalent amount of like liquid in a Snapple or a Coke or an Evian, that is how low oil prices have fallen, the price of Western Canadian Select, that if you bottled it, you'd pay the same as for a Snapple. So that's seriously not good for Alberta. Yeah, that's What's quite Snapple? disturbing. Oh, it's an iced tea yeah. product. It's <laughs> Australian. A, yeah, yeah. It's a, sorry. Um, a, or a, a, no, no, we are a, talking a, to a North soda, American audience. A soda just... beverage. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a sweet it fizzy? beverage. No, it's, it's like iced tea, oh. but it's very sugary, I think, so... Oh. Anyways, I used to drink a lot of it in university. So I want to know what we're going to hear from CeCe at the second quarter fiscal update. Absolutely. I think, you know, the last one was a bit rosier. It seemed like things were turning around. It's not going to be good. I don't think what we're going to see. And so, and I want to know if that market access committee that Notley had formed um, after, you know, BC started talking about, I'm interested to hear what advice they're going to give, if any, on this topic as well. Yeah, I think um, the next set of financials, we'll just see Joe Cece, the finance minister. I think he'll just sit in the chair and cry. Like, I just think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and the last fiscal update, um, the projection lowered the deficit by a million. So, you know, I really wonder what the next one's going to say. Maybe we can bottle Joe Cece's tears and (laughs) sell them to try and... I wonder how that compares to the price of Snapple. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I wish I had a good solution. I don't, but I know that this must be occupying 
a lot of government time and i think we've there have been a lot of distractions in alberta politics uh lately and as claire i think claire mentioned you hadn't had to write a pipeline story for a whole week or something like that right Um, and then i I wrote about the keystone excel setback which again is another sign that we're not getting market access anytime soon so yeah and in the meantime and if you get more crude by rail then you're dealing with the impact on the agriculture sector um it's there's no good solutions here I want to move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to kick us off, mate? Sure. I'm going to recommend um, just a show on Netflix that is not a podcast, amazing. It's not a podcast, um, but it's really fantastic. It's called um, Life and Death Row, and I'm recommending season three specifically, which it's a BBC docuseries, and it basically looks at this plan in Arkansas last year to execute eight um, death row inmates within 11 days because um, a lethal injection drug was about to expire and it's so fascinating and wow. just really really interesting amazing sarah what do you have for us mate okay well so i mentioned the uh, slider the oil price slider and i must say that the folks in um, alberta treasury and finance they do a really good job um providing uh data on all kinds of regular economic indicators i regularly mm. nerd out with their documents and things but they i did do, have yeah. a good deal of fun last night with the oil price slider <laughs> i also want to sarah, recommend you really got to examine your life choices yeah. if that's fun you know it, <laughs> it, 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 i was having a lot of um i was hearkening back to my at various points of my life as a reporter I was like oh I remember that time and so it was yeah I you're right the uh (laughs) what I want to recommend is there was an item on the BBC I don't know about you guys but on Thursday I must have had about a million uh news alerts related to Brexit oh yeah um and there was a, a a summary video that the BBC produced um just analyzing what's going on with Brexit and uh I think that if you like me didn't have time to click on every single one of those news alerts this was a really good uh two minute video primer so I'll give you that Fantastic. I am going to recommend something from the Edmonton Journal. Uh, Elise Stolte, who was on the show here last week, uh, she went up to Lubicon Lake, which recently uh, basically had a, had a settlement with the government's, the government's um, for a land deal. And she went up to Lubicon Lake and she wrote an amazing piece called Amazing What Hope Can Do. Lubicon Lake Persistence Ends in a Duck ends a dark chapter for Canada. And it's a really lovely piece. She had said when, we, when she was on the podcast talking about this a few weeks ago, how hopeful she was she could get up there. And then she did. So she went up and talked with a bunch of people and she had been up there years ago. So was able to follow up in some of that as well. So it's a really great read. I will highly recommend that. Breckenridge, take us home. I'm going to recommend a podcast. It's This is a, a oh, little lighter. Um, taking over from Clancy this <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, podcast I regularly listen to called The Rewatchables. It's done by The Ringer and they usually a panel group kind of like this where they talk about a movie that they feel is very rewatchable. In honor of the midterm elections in the U.S. last week, they decided to do their most recent episode on all the president's men. Uh, it's a funny <laughs> listen, kind of getting into a bit of the politics behind it, but a lot about the, the movie in the making of the movie and uh how robert redford got it made it's yeah it's a fun chat it's a it's about a 90 minute listen but it's really entertaining fantastic before we wrap up i want to give a shout out to the legislative pages i went and talked to them last night um some of them are new and a bunch of them listened to the podcast they told hey me hey guys hi hey pages thanks for all you do i know right you know what i learned apparently they're not allowed to go into the elevators when they're in uniform oh so that's why they run up and down the stairs and why they're all so damn fit Wow. Because I had to go to the fifth floor to do this presentation. And I said, oh, let's go in the elevator. And she went, no, we can't. And I went, well, I can. I do it every day. And she went, no, not, not when we're in uniform. Oh, so fascinating. I know, right? I didn't know that. 
So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, <laughs> and to all of you darling listeners. And, of course, do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you happen to podcast. Leave us a rating if you would be so kind. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, do reach out to me, Emma Graney. You can email me, egraney at postmedia.com, or you can shoot me something on Twitter. I'm super easy to find at Emma L. Graney. Thanks so much for joining us this week, and we will be back again next week with more Alberta politics fun on the Press Gallery.